Hello everybody and welcome and this is episode 19 of the Midnight McBride Show. This week I'm joined by a special lady, a very special guest, Miss Debs Cassar Egan. Lovely to meet you, thanks well, for the invite. You're very welcome Debs. And we've called this show Inspire Me, Inspire You. And there's a good reason for that Debs, why would we call it that? It was a name that my mum gave me in um, a meditation, a spiritual experience that I had. Um, she told me that I was going to write a book called Inspire Me, Inspire You, and that I was going to have a business name called Inspire Me, Inspire You. Which has happened. I know. Yes. So, Debs, what we'll do, you've got a very interesting life journey and we'd like to talk about that, if that's okay. We've had a pre-show chat, so... Yep. As always, we've checked that there's nothing, you know, if there's anything you don't want to talk about, that's fine. But you're pretty much an open book, which is which is nice. So we can talk about yeah. most things. So originally a Bury girl. From Salford. I live in Bury now. Oh, but sorry, I'm right. Originally Salford, from Salford. Yeah, Eccles, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Eccles. Eccles Cakes. Yeah, so originally from Salford in Eccles, but yep. you're living in Bury now. Yep, that's correct. And how was your childhood? How did you fare? Was it fairly stress-free? Was the was it eventful? It was a little chaotic. I'm one of five, yeah. um, and then I have a stepbrother and a stepsister. So you can imagine a household full of five kids. Um, yeah, it was a bit like chaos. There was always something going on yeah. in our house. Yeah, it was a busy, a busy household. And you, as we'd found out when we did the pre-show chat, you see spirits. I do. You do, and. Which is quite unusual, possibly, because your career path, you know, you were in the RAF, you I know, was. which we're going to talk about. And you were seeing spirits while you were there, too. I was. Yeah. Yeah. The first, from the notes that I've read, the first time you experienced this was at the age of 11. Was that the start of it? The That was the first start of it was age five. Um, age 11 was a big one, but age five. Right. Um, was when I woke up and I could see this pirate lad who was about 10 years old in my bedroom. And at the time, I shared a bedroom with my brother. There's two years between me and my brother. Did you think he was dressing up and taking the mick? Or? I was hoping. I was hoping it was him dressing up. And I could see this pirate, very vivid. And I put the, I put the duvet over my head. And I was like, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And then I kept peeping over my duvet and he was still there. So mm. I was saying to my brother, I was going, Lee, Lee. The first time that up. happens, it must be terrifying. I was. Because you think there's somebody, a stranger in your house. <laughs> and with one of them um, big, what them swords called, that uh, pirates have. Like a saber, something yeah, like that. one of them yeah. big swords as well. So, yeah, I was really scared. So I tried a few times peeking, but he was still there. So I screamed and I shouted my mum. And I remember my mum coming running in the room and I kept saying, he's in the cupboard, he's in the cupboard. Yeah. And my mum looked in the cupboard and she's going, Debs, he's not in the cupboard. See, I, I write about this in my book where I think when children are born, the longer we're on this planet, we're more, the more we're exposed to... Toxicity, environment, and that can be television, it can be the food mm. we have and certain things. Yeah. And I think like a like a 
pure being of light when we're born into this world. We have gifts that we lose as we get older. Most people do. And yeah. I think children still have the toe firmly dipped in the spirit realm Absolutely. when they arrive here. And in the book, I write about the fact that I was in a, a restaurant not far from here. And there's a child staring into space for the duration of this meal. And I wasn't the only one to notice it. Somebody else said, that's a bit strange. And the child was communicating, a baby in a high chair. Yeah. And they were communicating with this space and having a conversation, giggling and everything, as if there was somebody right in front of them. And it was very odd, you know, at the time. It was a bit of a spectacle. And then I spoke to the owner. Yeah. And the owner said that, yeah, we, you know, they get visited by spirits. And it was quite a common thing in there. And it was specifically with mm. children, you yeah. know. So I think they can see they still have this window that's wide open. And as we get older and we become more involved and wrapped up in the physical realm and the material things, yeah. you know, and the realm of the five senses, I think we lose that gift. And yeah. some people keep it with them through yeah. their life. I mean, I remember a time um, when my nephew was, he must have been about four, and he sat there and he said, um, Pops, Pops, he's sat there with his slippers on. And my dad had passed away at the time, and my sister was in the room as well. Now, I knew that, yeah, he is sat there, and yeah, he has got his slippers, but my sister was like, Luke, please, can you not say that? Because that's scaring me. Yeah. But he could very clearly see, like my dad, yeah. there with his slippers on. Well, that that's the thing as well. People that, if you can see something, and you might have come to terms with that, but somebody else can't see it, no. quite often the person that can't see what you can see is is quite Scared. frightened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. So your child was obviously been quite eventful then. Yeah. On top of that, and we discussed it, and you're okay to talk about it now, is that you realised you were gay but didn't actually come out until you were 23, so no. a lot older. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I knew, I knew, yeah, I remember even at school, I did lots of sports at school, I love sports. I even remember at school, like, um, I, there was a girl, and I used to, I was infatuated. And Does she know? Will she be watching this? <laughs> uh, no, she's not on my Facebook or anything, oh, so I don't think so, yeah. but I was, and at the time, I just thought it was because I liked yeah. Um, didn't think there was anything. But when I look back now, I can sort of connect and go, oh, yeah, I did know. But then, you know, at 15, I met a guy. We were together for like eight years. Mm. Um, so at this point, do you think you still knew then? And you just, or you just, was it the programming you were given? So you you didn't want to break the mould, even though you had those feelings? Or were the feelings not there at that point? Do you know what? I don't remember if the feelings, no. I don't remember, I don't remember like from 15, to maybe 20, like thinking, like seeing girls and going, oh, she's fit. Yeah. I don't remember like thinking that. It was more when I went to college yeah. that I was around people that were gay, that it's it brought it up. Yeah. It highlighted and it for me. Maybe when there's other people, then you, you think, actually, it's okay. I can, yeah. I can be that way. I can be myself. Yeah. You know, so. so, yeah, it was more like when I went to college and, um, you know, I started going out in down Canal Street and I was like, what, what is this? What Did you go to Ma way? college at Manchester? Yeah. I went to college at Eccles College right. um, in Eccles. And then I went to uni at um, Edge Hill. Yeah. Ah, that's the teaching college, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So from your surname, I'm guessing that you, we discussed it, you, the reason you're Cassar Egan, 
mm. is because she's the boss. <laughs> she is a boss. Do you know what? I'd like to think that I was the boss, but that is not true at all. She's definitely the boss. She'd probably say she wasn't what she yeah. is, yeah. And your partner's called Rachel, is that yeah, right? Yeah, she is, yeah. yeah. And you've, you're married now as well? Yeah, we've been together for 10 years right. now. Wonderful. I've been married for three years. I see. And what does Rachel do? Rachel's a travel agent. Right. So you met her post RAF. I met her in um, 2010, yeah, when I'd moved back from Lincoln. Talking about the RAF in 2008. And then I set up a holistic therapy business, which I ran for two years in Lincoln. And then me and my ex split up. So I decided, you know, what, what am I staying in Lincoln for? I'm not in yeah. the military anymore. I want to be around my family. So I moved back to Manchester. And I met Rach online. Um, I went on a website was it well it is a dating website now um i'm allowed to say like yeah, names yeah, it was gaydar.com right, yeah of course and i remember putting on there that i didn't want to meet anyone i wanted to meet people to like go out for drinks cinema theater and rach contacted me and said would you be interested in well we ended up chatting for a bit and she said would you be interested in meeting for a coffee and then when i met her at starbucks in the trafford center i was like Oh dear. And then everything like just changed and everything just went out the window. Yeah. I thought you're not gonna be a friend. No, no. And that's it, yeah. Ten years later. Very good. Well I'm very happy for you. Yeah. Thank it's you. Uh, I've seen a couple of pictures of you on Facebook where you, I think you're walking down the stairs oh, and you both got your dresses on. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I know it's a cliche, but yeah, that was an amazing day. Yeah. So we'll go back onto your journey and there's been a bit of trauma yeah and so both your parents passed within a very short space of each other was that after you came out the RAF no you um, the RAF? I joined the RAF in October in September 2002 and then I was four months in I'd done my trade training I was in no sorry I'd done my recruit training I was in my trade training at RAF Halton and my mum was living in Spain at the time um Bit, a little bit of a funny story. Before I joined the RAF, I decided to go travelling around Europe. And um, my mum, who my mum and dad had split up at the time, and my mum said, I want to come with you. Yeah. And I was like, mum, I'm backpacking. Like, you can't, like, you know, we can't do your nails and be all pretty and wearing stilettos, like, travelling. And she was like, no, no, I really, like, want to come. I've always wanted to have an, an adventure. So my mum, we decided to get an apartment in Spain um, so that could be the base. We did the traveling, but mainly she stayed at the apartment and she met a guy there, a lovely yeah. guy. In fact, the same name as my dad's name, Brian. And she was so happy. But what happened is when I joined the military in, and I was in trade training, she came back poorly and she didn't want to go to the doctors in yeah. Spain. She wanted to come to her doctors, um, in Manchester and they said at the time, oh, you've got a stomach bug or there's a virus or something. And it kept just persisting. So eventually, um, my younger sister took her to hospital. Yeah. And they ran loads of tests and they basically said, you've got terminal cancer and basically yeah. you've got days, I, week. And it was only, I think, in the chat we had, it was a couple of weeks from being diagnosed to your mum yeah. passing, wasn't it? it was, yeah. yeah, she got diagnosed. Uh, it was a week after. She'd yeah. been in the hospital for two weeks, but it was a week after she died. And then shortly after this, Deb, 
within a week or two weeks, your father passed as well. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So my dad went in for uh, what he called his yearly MOT. My dad was my dad was a miracle child because he was born with pneumonia. Yeah. And back it back in that day, they to drain the fluid off the lung, they used to cut the lungs at the back. So he had two slits in his back that he used to say my mum had thrown knives at him. Yeah. But it was because as a baby they had they slit all the tissue to drain the fluid off. And they basically said the probability of him living was very, very slim. So he always had chest problems, my dad. Yeah. But he functioned. He had, you know, he, he worked and everything was like going all right health-wise from about his chest. So he was in for his MOT and he got a chest, sorry, he got a chest infection after my mum died. He went in for his MOT and then he had a heart attack. Mm. Was your dad with your mum? No, no, so they, they divorced, they separated when I was 15 and mm. um, they'd been together I think it's 26 years or 27 years If I'd had those little scars I think I would have gone with uh, that's where they cut my wings off <laughs> something like that I think Do you know what, why didn't he think of that? I don't know why he didn't think of that He just liked to dramatise, uh, telling us yeah. stories that he'd had knives thrown in his back Yeah, um, yeah. So you'd, you'd obviously a difficult period for you this and then you were visited by your mum weren't you and she gave you the title for your first book yeah yeah um tell us a bit about that so I'd gone back um so we were in like barracks and I'd gone back to my room and it was at about half past 11 at night um I'd not been drinking alcohol but I'd gone back in and I could hear this beeping sound and I thought what is that so I turned everything off in my room and I even went outside and I'm like in the corridor, is there any sound? And there was nothing. And then I, I got in bed and I just went all cold and clammy and my heart was like racing 10 to the dozen. And I could just feel my mum, I could hear this beeping sound, but I could just feel my mum there. And that was the first visit from my mum and I just said, I feel, I don't know what's going on here. But I will research into it and have a look. Were you still in the RAF at this point? Yeah. 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 And she told you the title of your book. She did, yeah. So you didn't even have any choice. No. <laughs> which no. is the title of the show, Inspire Me, Inspire You, which is which is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So then once your parents had both passed, this is when maybe the depression started. Yes. You know, and you I think you said that the way because of lots of things that were going on, it didn't really hit you for a little mm. while. It was later when yeah. you started to really sink home that, you know, they'd gone. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, which again, I'm very happy about is that you talk openly about this, is that, you know, you were suicidal yeah. as well. You know, yeah. you'd contemplated taking your life. Did, did you attempt to take your life or was it just on your, the front of your mind? What, you know? At the time, I remember like thinking, um, how would I do it? Mm. And... I was like, I, I can't go by um, taking pills. I can't see myself slitting my wrist. Um, I And in my head, I thought, if I do it, I'm just going to go off a cliff. Yeah. And where it was, RAF Islandale, so um, where I was based, there was a lot of cliffs yeah. because it's between um, Whitby and Pickering. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd drive recklessly. I'd, you know, I'd had a, um, like a golf at the time. And I'd be putting my foot down and thinking, 
right, this is this is how I'll yeah. do it. So you're not alone with that because, and this is probably something I've not said out loud before, but what I contemplated suicide. I've done it several times. I've thought about it, and I. I knew exactly how I would do it. You do, you start, you think, mm. okay, how am I going to go about this? And, you know, I don't need to go into all the details, but I, I, there was a spot I was going to hang myself. That's what mm. I was going to do. Uh, it wasn't always like that because other times I've thought about suicide, there were different methods, but it's a thought process mm. and we need to be able to have these conversations and be honest about it and talk about it. But it is, if you are serious about it, then you start to think about the mechanics of it, how, you, how you're going to do it. Yeah. And... Yeah, looking back now, it seems like how could I have thought like that and whatever. But at the time, this wasn't sort of, how shall I say it? It was it was a serious matter. I was seriously mm-hmm. considering it, you know. It wasn't like a fleeting thing. It was on my mind constantly, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and yeah, the pain inside and the way you feel is greater than you think, well, being dead has got to be less painful yeah. than this. You know, because you're, you're suffering because of your, usually because of your mind. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, I work in mental health, so I work with a lot with people who, you know, have suicidal thoughts or have tried to take their lives. And that once you start talking about it, once you get it out there, mm. I remember like the first time like saying to somebody, um, but do, do you have suicidal thoughts? Because... At first, you're a bit like, ooh, I don't know if I want to ask that question. Yeah. Um, well, how are they going to take it? It's difficult to say out loud, isn't it, yeah. the first time? Because you're, you're worried about being judged and, you know, are they going to put me in a lunatic asylum? Or yeah. what? You don't really know how it's going to go. But once somebody else says it, and yeah. we talked about this recently on one of the shows, being the pioneer, when somebody says, I'm not okay, I'm struggling, I'm depressed, whatever, mm-hmm. and somebody goes, oh, actually, I am. And once you know you're not alone... Absolutely. Um, it's a big sense of relief, but somebody's got to go first. There's yeah. always got to be the pioneer. Somebody that's brave enough to say, you know what, I'm not doing so well here. Yeah. You know, and it's that, it's that first step, isn't it? And you see the relief yeah. on people's face. When you say it, you actually see, like, people... <sighs> okay. Mm. Okay. Having it... I always say when you've got something inside and it doesn't feel good, if you don't express it and get it out mm. to... Express, as in X, as in former, and press, as in pressure. Express, to relieve pressure, to mm. take something that doesn't feel good inside and m- take it outside. If you don't do that, and it can be, you can put the radio on and say, I'm having a shit day and make your own lyrics up. It doesn't matter. You can <laughs> talk to somebody, you can write a letter, you can sing, you can dance, you can do whatever. But if you don't get that negative, yeah. that toxic that venom, that poison inside you, yeah. if you don't get it out, then it will manifest and you will become ill. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. You know, Wayne Dyer always used to say, and I love this quote, it's beautiful, he says, a snake bite never killed anybody. It's the venom that's left behind. Kind. So it's not an incident, it's not one thing, but your thoughts about mm. something. If you can't get rid of those negative thoughts, yeah. they'll kill you. Yeah. You know, they'll chew you up. You know, and I don't just mean in a physical way with suicide. I mean making you ill with high levels of stress, anxiety, depression, yeah. and so on as well. It yeah. all starts upstairs. Yeah, it does. This is the it? operating system, the CPU, and this manages everything else. And you yeah. get this right, everything flows, and the body does what it's supposed to do, and it's an incredible healing miracle machine. But if you don't mm-hmm. get this right, 
doesn't matter what you do, what you eat, where you run, how high you jump, whatever. If this isn't right, the body can't function properly. No. You know. And they are actually starting in schools to uh, teach kids like meditation, yoga, yeah. mindfulness. Mm. I didn't have anything like that. No. no I call way. it happy class. I always said that it's insane that in schools, you know, they teach how to go and make money and get the best job and mm. get the best position and get the biggest car and all that. And But they never say what makes you happy and they don't give you the skills to deal with any high levels of stress to find inner peace to communicate so there's no happy class the most important thing on the syllabus for any human being should be your happiness and it's not even it's not even on the syllabus yep you know so and how to manage yeah coping you know Life skills. Or not coping, but then being able to ask for help. And one of my huge problems was, Mm. and I I only realised this because I did an ayahuasca ceremony uh, about four years ago, was that I I ended up, after the ceremony started and I was rolling around, pouring with sweat, vomiting and then crying, all of these things. And then at that stage, um, I I got a message, they call them plant teachers, and you get like insights. And it said... I need to ask for help. I need to ask for help. And then I started um, vocalising this and screaming for help. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I needed help in that moment. It was that I'd been boxed up. I couldn't ask for help. Yeah. You know, and that that was something I learned. You know, I I learned to ask for help. So Biggest lesson in life, isn't it? Ask for help. So continuing with the journey, Debs, you've come out the RAF. You've experienced depression. You've mm. had issues with mental health. I've had issues with mental health. Lots of people, most of the people I know have had issues with mental health at some mm. point. And that can be a bereavement, breakup of a relationship when you're very sad, you've no yeah. energy, a nervous breakdown, depression, all of these things. Yeah. And then what's this is the interesting bit, and this is why the journey before is relevant, because now we're going to start to talk about how you put yourself back together. Yeah. This is this is where you turn the tide, where you start to think, okay, whatever I'm doing is not working, and where do I go from here? So then you started to counselling. Yep. Yeah. I talk about counselling. It's a very valuable tool. just didn't work for me because when I went, I wouldn't talk. I wasn't ready to share. So the counselling didn't have any kind of chance to help (laughs) me. But counselling and and other things, including Reiki and lots of things. So maybe talk us through that a little bit. Well, the counselling, um, I, I had six months of counselling um, and I think I really con- connected with this counsellor that I was seeing um, and I call her my angel now because uh, I think I wouldn't be here if yeah, I'd yeah, not had that yeah. session, sessions with her. Um, and that was the, when I started to feel uh, better in myself, not fully recovered or anything, but better. That was when the thought came to me, I'd like to do that. Yeah. What? What position to be in? What an amazing thing yeah. for somebody to be able to help another human being and then you possibly to take the baton and do it yourself. Yeah. You know, that's incredible. So that was the um that was the baton. And then when I was in the military, um I thought, you know, I I love the military. I had a great, fantastic time like traveling the world in the military. But it wasn't my life's purpose. No. It wasn't. Wasn't your dharma? No, no. definitely wasn't. Yeah. So I then had to think about, okay, um, what is it I want to do? And I talk about in my book about like the, the meditation exercises or the spiritual journal that my mum told me to do. And through that is where I got the guidance, like speaking yeah. to my mum and dad. 
speaking to other spirits that were there, encouraging me and saying, you know, why don't you look at the, the body? Why don't you look at like Reiki? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you look at mm. that? Get this book. And I started really exploring where I fitted in. Yeah. And that's when I started doing all like holistic therapy courses. Yeah. Yeah. Once you go through what you could call a nervous breakdown, a midlife crisis, a spiritual awakening, when mm. I will call it the shift. Yeah. When you come to a point in your life where things aren't working and you quite often, a, a nervous breakdown is a necessary part of a mm. spiritual process. You have to, mm. if things aren't working, you have to go right back to basics again, you know, and yep. then you have a change in direction pursuing a spiritual path and you start to look at things that are going to make you feel good, going to make you happy, that make you healthy, that give you inner peace, things yep. like this. Once you start on that journey and you're emitting that frequency, the people, the right people. starts to flow. You get a synchronicity in alignment. You've said it, haven't you, in your shows. Fire. Synchronicity. I'd never even heard of synchronicity. It's Carl Jung, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, things. I started meeting the right people. I'd go to, like, uh, mind, body and spirit events. And, yeah. you know, I'd be having a coffee and I'd be sat to somebody that would say something to me. And I'd think, what's, what's happened there? Where's yeah. Where's she come from or where he, where's he come from? But they would be giving me um, either messages or nudges in certain directions. Um, so, yeah, I, did, I started off um, doing all sorts of holistic therapies. Um, but then I wanted to focus more on the mind. Yeah. So that's when I got into, like, the counselling, the hypnotherapy, like the NLP it's all, it's all about the mind-body connection, isn't it? It's of all course. like seeing everything as a whole yes. and not individual. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it started to... I don't think I know that's what it started to teach me, that everything um, is affected, no matter what, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's what you're eating, whether it's what you're feeling, it all has an impact on the, you yeah. as a whole. yeah. And that's what it started to teach me, like through doing all the different courses that I, that I did. Yeah, I found I was found that for me to have a happy and balanced life, my diet, exercise, spending time in nature, meditation, and yoga, mm. and your environment, which you could class as nature, mm. but basically your surroundings. Yeah, those things are all critical, and I would get four of them right, but then I'd start eating rubbish food. So then I get yeah. that right, but then I, I'd miss my meditation. And then I get mm. that right. And it's it's trying to get this balancing act of all these yeah. key factors. And if anyone pops out, you're not quite there. Mm. And it's taken me years to try and find that balance, yeah. you know, but I kept working at it and working at it. And I say to everybody, you know, you might think I've written this book and I teach meditation and I'm doing these things and everything's, you know, perfect. Well, I still have good days and bad days. Absolutely. All, all yeah. I've done is developed a skill set now where when I'm not on the right track, when I don't feel good, I recognise mm. the signs very early yep. and I have the toolkits and the skills to put myself back together again and get myself back on track fairly quickly. Yeah. The wobbles, the fluctuations and variations are still there. It's just that you learn how to manage. Yeah. You know, And you become, I suppose, you become more resilient. Um, yeah. When you develop that toolkit, if you want to use that word, 
the when you recognize the signs and you have that tool can you think right i need to know i know i, I need to decide what i need to do here what's going to help what's going to support me but people don't know what their tool they haven't they're not aware of their toolkit yeah um and that self-awareness that mm. you've got if you have that then you can adapt because we are always going to have life is a roller coaster yeah. isn't it? i mean a simple thing is when your mind's not busy so it's not overriding everything and you're not overthinking everything and you're peaceful you become mm. very aware of the subtle sensations of your body yeah and so you're aware when something makes you feel good and when it yeah. doesn't when your mind's busy you miss it. You don't pick yeah. up the signals. So if I don't feel good, I'll pause for a minute and think, okay, what's, what am I doing wrong here? Why doesn't this feel good? Yeah. Is it the company I'm keeping? Is it my actions? Is it something I've eaten? I don't feel good. I'm, yeah. I'm anxious. What's wrong? Yeah. When your mind's really busy, those feelings can just pass you by. And because you're you're not paying attention, yep. you, you override the system and you miss it. You know, So it's becoming yeah. aware of how you feel. Yeah. You know. And I've done that and st still sometimes keep doing that, missing the signals because... Oh, yeah. We're, we're human. Do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, it, it's always about... It, we're never going to get it 100% right, but what no. we do is I'll have days when my mind's busy and I won't pick up those signals. Yeah. But most of the time, I do. It's just finding a way where the good stuff, you do more than the yeah. bad stuff. There's yeah. always going to be wobbles. There's always yeah. going to be these things, but it's, it's learning to just... I say like, you know, I still have days maybe where I'm not happy, but I'm happy most of the time. Yeah. You know, whereas before I was miserable all of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a good point, actually, yeah. Yeah. So then your book. Yes. So Inspire Me, Inspire You. Mm. Now, that's available on, on Amazon, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. What's the book about? How? What's it? What's it? The all book's about? about my spiritual journey. So when I was started having the spiritual experiences, and I was speaking to my mum and my dad. My mum said, "You need to be writing this down. You need to be journaling this." Were your mum and dad with us, or they passed on at this they'd point? They passed on. So this is after yeah. after they'd gone to the spirit realm. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. This was mind if I use that two term. years. Yeah, two years. So this after. is then they're talking to afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you know what? Sometimes I didn't journal everything because I couldn't be bothered. Mm. You know, you, I, if I'd like meditate and I'm speaking to my mum and dad and it always goes, time just goes dead fast. I look and 45 minutes or an hour has gone. And then I was thinking, oh, now you want me to write all this down. So I didn't journal everything. Um, but yeah, I started journaling it. And then through those journals and not just speaking to mum and dad, like I said, I'd speak to um, like I could be sat in a circle and somebody would come and sit opposite me and they would give me advice. They'd say, um, hi, like, you know, I'm James. I had this business and I did this and that and maybe you could look at doing this. And I'd get advice yeah. from people like in the spirit world. And sometimes at the end I think, what was that about? But it supported me. It gave me that guidance um, that I needed. So, yeah, it's the, the book's about me um, as well. Like, just to take it back a, a, a touch, um, when my mum made contact, I went into Waterstones and I got a book called uh, Meet Your Spirit Guide by Ruth White. Now, when I pulled this book off the shelf, I got a really strong smell of Kelvin Klein Eternity Perfume. And it's what my mum had on when she died. And I was yeah. there when she died. Oh, and I felt sick. And I, th I was like, and I was looking round. 
I was looking around for who had this perfume on and I must have looked really weird because I'm walking around, Waterstones stood next to girls going... Like, Smelling them. Yeah, to see if they had this Kelvin Klein on. So I went back, I put the book back on the shelf and then I got the smell again. And I was like, okay, mum, I'll yeah. get this book. I, I talk about in the book as well, uh, smell is an underrated sense. And when it comes to having memories, flashback, regression, um, all of the smells, very powerful, very mm. powerful. A lot of spirits, whether it's, you know, St. Francis of Assisi with roses or, or yeah. um, a few people I know that have lavender and stuff, smells very powerful, very powerful. yeah. So yeah. the book's about my spiritual journey from meeting my spirit guide um, to meeting like River Elk who helped me on my next um, part of my spiritual journey to then meeting people and talking to people to be able to like see things um, because I was, I was seeing things. Everything was just like developing and as it's developing, I'm journaling it and like River Elk would have me like sat staring at a, a picture and I'd have to really focus on this picture and he's telling me this in my head, right, what can you see? And I'll say, oh, I can see this, okay. And then I may see a scary picture and I'm like, oh, no, I don't like that. And he'd be saying, it's okay. Mm. Nobody's here. And it would be spirit people that were coming through on this picture. And, yeah, so then, like, River Elk, like, helped me with that. And then it was just... Who's River Elk? So River Elk is one of my spirit guides. Okay. So it's not somebody here? No, he's no. an Indian, um, okay. Indian guy. And River Elk... This so this this spirit is somebody that you in contact with all the time. I don't see River Elk that much now. I can ask to see him, and mm -hmm. he will come and like talk to me. He's been there on certain um, like when I've meditated and I've done. They've done like certain ceremonies with me. He's been there, and um, mm. like given me symbols and things. But I don't see him really like to talk talk to. I see mm. a lady called um, Jane, who's an, an angel, guardian angel. She tends to, like, pick me, and if I want to go to places, she'll, like, take me, like I feel her hand. Yeah. And so, so the book, then, Inspire Me, Inspire You, that's not really about, it's, it's not your childhood and everything, or is that in there as well? I suppose if your spiritual journey started yeah. when you're 11, your first significant experience and stuff, so it covers all of this. I talk about my, yeah. um, like, my experiences as a child yeah. in the book, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I wasn't really, didn't really get a full spiritual awakening, if you, if you want to use that, until yeah. my mum and dad, like. Yeah. And then I said in the book as well, because my dad had, um, was part of a family funeral business. So my dad never believed in life after death. We had so many debates about it, sat having a pint about yeah. life after death. But I always believed in it. I don't, didn't, yeah. know, didn't know why, but even, you know, even in my early 20s, I believed in it. I think absolutely. I think when we, I don't think anybody ever dies. I'm a Buddhist, so mm. we, nobody ever dies. You leave this realm and move to another realm. You transform, you change, you know, your physical form. But when you close your eyes, your pure essence, your soul, your true nature, that that is you mm. never dies. Yeah. I, I believe. Yeah, that's what I believe you know. too. Yeah. It might come back a few times, you yeah. know, in this in this realm, but certainly... I, I wouldn't, and I'm quite happy about that. I wouldn't like to think. I find it very comforting mm. to know that it's just another step part of the journey, that it's not the end of everything. Yeah. You know. Like I said, though, comforting. 
Like to think that, that I'm just going to evolve and I'm here on earth and I'm mm. learning as much as I can. Spiritual and beings having a human experience for a brief while. That quote, yeah. 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 Um, and if we, you know, if we have that in our minds, then maybe we're less, I'm definitely less fearful. Mm. I'm, I'm definitely more like, do you know what? Let's go and do it. Let's try it. Let's do X, Y, and Z. I don't, I don't have that fear. Yeah. Well, once you, most humans spend all of their life in living in fear of their, their own mortality, the fact mm. that they know they're going to die and it's approaching. If you can take that fear away, then what, they say you can only start living when you accept you're dying. You can mm. only truly live when you say you embrace it and you go, yes, I know I'm going to die and it's okay and it might be tomorrow, but I'm going to live today. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. If only everyone thought that. <laughs> yeah. Hey. So you're now writing a second book. Yes. Now, behind, behind, can I say the, the title? You can, yes. yeah, yeah. Behind the Blue. Yeah. yeah. So Behind the Blue, um, the title is about the uniform, the RAF, because it's blue and blue, obviously, uh, relating to the depression. Yeah. So, that's, that's what I read. I, I When I saw it, I thought, oh, it's be behind this facade. It's about, yeah. about the depression. Well, I'm glad. A good title then. Yeah, if, if yeah, that's no, well, got I got that it. straight away. That's, that's um, what it said to me, yeah. It was more, it's, it, the thing when I was in the military, uh, because in the military, you don't really talk about mental health. No. And when I was going through that, um, I was putting my uniform on. I looked immaculate and nobody knew. And my mm. family didn't even know what was going on, that I was feeling suicidal. Um, and when I wrote that the first book, um, which I do mention in there, my siblings, like when they read it, they said, Debs, why didn't you say? Mm. But in the military, you weren't allowed really to talk about it. And the other thing that was really as well, if I remember at the time, is I just lost my parents. I lost my parents, the, lost the family home. I had this room in the middle of nowhere at RAF Islandales. And I didn't really want to then go to the station medical officer and say, actually, I'm really not well, and mm -hmm. then get kicked out of the military. Yeah. I mean, for me, what, what did I have then? Yeah. It's not an environment where, that's conducive to telling somebody that, you know, you're depressed, I suppose, no. is it? So, yeah, the military, probably not a great environment to, to share those feelings, you know. Is that one of the reasons why you left the military? Why? No, no. not at all. I left the military because I wanted to work with people. Um, so I got the help um, that I needed, uh, that lovely lady in Scarborough. So no, it's not the reason I left. Yeah. I left because I wanted to yeah. um, support people. And and that's what you do now, isn't it? You're also, if you tell us maybe just briefly about the work you do now as well, because you're working with... Um, mental health a mental health charity is that right yes so i work for a mental health charity um i've just taken it down it was five days a week so like last year i was working there five days a week seeing clients in the evening running workshops of self-employed yeah. teaching spinning classes personal training at a gym mm. and i thought you know stop too pause. much yeah you need to strip back i always i used to joke in the meditation classes saying Right, uh, I've been overdoing it, telling everybody not to overdo it. You know, yeah. in your pursuit of health and helping everybody else, you can end up putting yourself in a grave. So you've yep. got to slow down, haven't you? you know? Yeah. And I missed some of the signs, like, like yeah, I was saying before. I <laughs> so I got to the point and as the universe 
does. It gave me a good slap in the face and <laughs> said, what are you doing? Mm. So I, I thought, you know what? I need to take my hours down. I need to create some space. I need to think about what it is that I want to do more of. And the mental health charity, which I absolutely love the work, mm. and it's a great charity. Uh, it's a holistic charity. So it does all like workshops, meditation, mindfulness, yeah, exercise, one-to-one -one support counselling. So I love that, but I wanted to, I wanted to get back into the driving seat of my own bus. Mm. You know, my own destiny, I want to start doing my own things more rather than trying to fit them in, rather than be an afterthought. So I've gone down to two days a week, which is now giving me time to finish writing my book, which yeah. I I had the idea two years ago. So it's funny you were saying yeah, about yeah. two years about book, a book. Book two was finished two years ago for me, and that's uh, <sighs> moving forward, learning how to glide, elevating yourself and propelling yourself forward using surrounding energies with zero resistance, with zero effort, in harmony with natural law. And it's been sat there for two years. <laughs> yeah, and that happens, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. accepting that that could happen and that does happen and what do you need to do now? How do you get yourself back on track? Yeah. So two days a week for the mental health charity, I'm still doing that. And then even during the um, pandemic, I've been still running workshops, um, via social media. I've still been seeing clients via social media. But I want to be doing more of that. Yeah. I, I, and then still doing the one-to-one -one support, but like I said, being in more control of what I'm doing. Yeah. So... Willow said to me, I, I'd put I'd put the time aside mm. to finish the second book. The book was written in draft form, but to finalise it, get it printed and everything... And then I started getting into this, the video side of the video podcast. And it just, I just overtook, I, everything else got laid down. You know, when you find something you're passionate about, yeah. you, you have to make choices. You steam you? ahead, don't yeah, you? Yeah. You're steaming with it and everything else. It's just like you get tunnel vision on this thing. And that's a good thing because you're obviously passionate about it, yeah. aren't you? Um, but yeah, I, I'm focusing on this book and um, I'm, I'm trying to think because my I do like the physical, the personal training and I do the spiritual stuff and I do the one-to-one -one and workshops. I need to rebrand myself. That's what I want to sit down and do, rebrand, do a new website and, yeah. yeah, just take myself forward further. And on a bigger scale as well, I'd like to be doing events where mm. I'm stood helping people as well as the, like the one-to-one -one yeah. work. A big a big part of it, for, for me anyway, is you only have, I try not to use the word time, but you only have a certain amount of energy and you have got to choose very carefully what you spend it on. Yeah. And I, because I do the ultra running, that takes up a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. And I like doing this and mm -hmm. I like writing and I like teaching meditation, but I still need to bring in money, so sometimes I have to do construction contract. And it it's getting that balance, balance right. It's very difficult. Very difficult because yeah. all the things I love don't pay money and all the things that pay money I really don't enjoy. What is, what is that about? <laughs> That's so I true, wish, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I wish I don't have any regrets, but if I could go back, I would have definitely made some different choices. Mm. You know, uh, say no regrets because otherwise I wouldn't be here now when I'd have nothing to talk about. You yeah. know? So I needed to make all those mistakes to tell everybody else how I got how I sort of survived, really. But yeah. I would definitely make different choices. 
Yeah. You know. I mean, a lot of people that you speak to um, who are in work of helping and supporting people, you know, they're like, they have other jobs going at the same time. Like, so they've got their bread and butter money, so to speak. Yeah. But there is, there is people making money full time and having really good lives. Yeah. Um, so it's out there. It's definitely there. The, the careers advisors at school need to go and see a careers advisor. <laughs> yeah. They need to be told what they should be telling children is, right, don't do this because you'll earn more money doing this or whatever. They should be saying, what do you love? Yeah. What do you love to do? Do that. Yeah. doesn't matter about the money because when you love what you do, you'll be passionate about it. You won't feel like you're working. You'll be happy. You'll attract and draw people towards yeah. you because you'll be beaming in bliss. And the money will come anyway because you'll be really good at it. Yeah. You know. I believe that. Yeah, absolutely. How does your partner, Rachel, cope with the spirit side of your life? I mean, is, does Rachel see spirits? Is, no. 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 And no. she's she's sort of come to terms with that. Yeah, she yeah. has, yeah. Um, you know, a couple of times I could be sat in the living room and uh, I said to you before the show, like my head will be going, I'll be looking at like a negative and you'd see a negative of like people like watching us. And Rachel will be like, what what are you looking oh, no. at? Here we go here again. We Who is oh. it? Who is it? What does he want? <laughs> is it my granddad? Uh, can you tell him I love him? Yeah. Um, and I've done things with Rach where I've sat with her and spoke to her granddad um, yeah. because she wanted like some comfort or some yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, Rach wants to do her Reiki uh, level one. She's coming more into the idea of I quite like this. Yeah. There is something in this. Um, so, yeah, Rach is on another path. But, um, but moving in your general she's direction, in this I would direction, say. Yeah. 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 She said, um, God, you're so calm to, like, be around. She said, I, I want that. Mm. I want to be able to just be that calm. And I, I say, Rach, you're one of, one of the most patient people I know. Maybe Rachel will get into this line of work at some yeah. point. Yeah. So, Debs, if somebody wanted to talk to you, find mm. out a little bit more about what you do, maybe they'd want some Reiki, maybe they'd want some counselling, some hypnotherapy, maybe they're struggling and want to reach out and mm. connect with you. Where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? Okay. So I have got a website but it's a bit archaic because uh, I've not looked at it in six years, so I'm going to have it okay. redone. But the website is um, www.inspiremeinspireyou.co.uk. Okay, okay. And email, um, I'd say not to email that because I'm going to have it revamped, is Deborah, D-B-O-R-A-H-Egan, E-G-A-N, one zero at hotmail.com. Is that the only space where you don't have to put the casser in? <laughs> is yes. the email account I'm not getting rid of that, that. <laughs> I just, I'm keeping that um, and Twitter is inspire underscore me M-E underscore you the letter U that's where I got in touch with you on Twitter isn't it I, yeah. out of the social media platforms available to me Twitter is sort of my least favourite yeah. however there's some people that um, are very prolific on there. They use it a lot, like yourself. Another another guy I know called Chris Reddy, he's, you know, doesn't use the main social media yeah. platforms, but has a big Twitter account. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I will get a Facebook page up and running and sort all that malarkey out. It's a full-time job, honestly, when you've got... If, if only you had somebody to do it for you. I know. I've told Rach that's her job, actually. 
That's, oh, she's go. furloughed at the minute. So I said, this is your job. Website. Debs, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your journey. Mm. And it's been traumatic at times and difficult, yeah. but you've turned it all around. You put yourself back together and you're now helping other people. And that is the greatest thing any human being can do. Thank you. And thank you for creating a platform for me to come on. You're very, very welcome. Very welcome. So, folks, this has been the Midnight McBride Show, show number 19, Inspire Me, Inspire You. If you also look on Amazon for Inspire Me, Inspire You by Debs Casa Egan, you'll be able to find Deb's book on there. You can catch me on Salford City Radio 94.4 FM every Monday night with the Mind, Body and Spirit Show from 11 till 12 midnight or midnight till midnight, I was like to say. You can subscribe to this channel and there'll be a new show out every single week. You can also get the audio version of this podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean. You can get my book From Pills to Peace on Amazon and it's also now available as an audio book which is on Audible and iTunes and also the paperback book or the Kindle book is available in about 10 or 12 different retailers. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook and you can check out my website midnightmcbride.com. Right there we go all done. Thanks very much for watching and we'll see you next time. Shalom.